Gamarjoba, and welcome to the History of Sacarvelo, Georgia. I'm your host, Roberto, and I'm here to announce that we have yet another trailer for our newest Patreon episode. We are joined by Marco from Storia d'Italia, and we are talking about Bakur the Iberian, and his roles in the battles of Adrianople and Frigidus. To hear the rest of the episode, please subscribe on the $5 or $10 tier on Patreon. You will get a royal title and a monthly bonus episode. And if you go for the full $10, you also get voting rights on future topics and episodes that we will cover. Now, enjoy the rest of the episode. Gamarjoba Patronebi, this is bonus episode 2. Bakur, the Iberian. We'll be talking about a lesser-known figure named Bakur who likes to pop up randomly throughout Roman history, and today we'll be joined by a special guest and friend of mine, Marco from the Storia d'Italia podcast. Gamarjoba, Marco, and welcome to the show. Can you introduce yourself and what it is you do? Yeah, Gamarjova, is it correct? So, Gamarjova, Roberto, it's really a pleasure to be on uh, um, History of Sacarzvelo. Uh, uh, I hope I said it uh, uh, acceptably. Um, I must say, I am in love in, with Georgia because I visited Georgia. I love Georgian uh, culture, so it's, it's really a pleasure. Uh, besides, we know each other, but that, that's another story. Yeah, so I have a podcast uh, in Italian, so... You know, if some of your listeners uh, know Italian or learn Italian, they can go check it out. Uh, it's called Story d'Italia, as you said, and it basically uh, starts uh, around the time of Constantine, where you are now, basically, and goes always forward. So uh, more or less the same format in that sense. So I've been doing it for almost four years, and uh, I got now to the Lombards, so in seventh century let's say uh so a few centuries ahead of you yeah well with the way our sources work it won't be long until we catch up (laughs) (laughs) well there's unfortunately i am slow so it's it's likely that you will catch up (laughs) yeah it doesn't help that when i uh, right now well as of this recording uh they'll probably see this in like july but when i'm currently recording it is I thought I was going to have three episodes on Marion. It's going to look like it's going to be five. So, because he has a lot of sources and, you know, we have St. Nino. But I'm like, oh, we're actually getting sources. And I looked ahead to read a bit more. And I'm like, oh, wait, never mind. It's going to be really fast. (laughs) So (laughs) Don't get used to it. (laughs) No, I won't. (laughs) I know once once it gets to like the medieval ages, it's going to be a lot again. So, um, but thank you so much. So I'll give an introduction to Prince Bakur, and Marco's going to give us the Roman perspective and like things that are going on in history at the time, especially over the battles of Adrianople and the Battle of Frigidus, in which uh, Prince Bakur participated in. So let's get started. And as I mentioned before in our opener, Bakur is a lesser known figure throughout history, but he's heavily involved with the Romans at the end of the 4th century. It's actually through Bakur that we have any written information about the Christianization of Cartli. He was an acquaintance of the church historian Rufinus. They met during Bakur's travels in Jerusalem, and Bakur gave Rufinus 
the earliest known account of the conversion, which is then supplemented by quite a few Roman and Georgian sources in the historic and church traditions. Fantastic. That's fantastic. I didn't even know that he was the source. I mean, I'm not surprised, but but I didn't know about it. That's very interesting. Yeah, and like, has Rufinus popped up in in your research at all, or like? Yeah, no, he, he has, he has, but yeah, he's not as central as as other authors. For example, at this time of period, for me, Ammianus Marcellinus was the main uh, primary source, and then I usually go hunt for other details elsewhere. So. Oh, yeah, because I can't, I couldn't find much on Rufinus, but Rufinus actually really liked Bakur, and he states how Bakur is a great source of information for him, and because of Bakur's status as a Kartveli royal and a general in the Roman army, or uh, comes domesticorum, comes mm-hmm. domesticorum, yes, yeah. So uh, Rufinus likes to bring attention to you know, his status and also how Bakur also likes to seek religion and truth at all times. Mm-hmm. And to Rufinus, Bakur's story of this conversion of Kartli only showcased how Christianity flowed from the Roman state to these barbarian lands on its borders. Um, and the best part for Rufinus is that the person who enlightened Georgia was a woman named St. Nino, and this highly appealed to his friend, the wealthy ascetic Melania. Not Melania Trump, sadly. <laughs> <laughs> oh. No. Um, and then the and he also states that the Eastern Church is, you know, it's known for giving women more of a chance of taking these important roles. And if, this would naturally pique Rufinus's interest. And I'm going to talk a bit about Rufinus here because he he's basically our main source for any information about Bakur. And he mentions that Bakur is a very devout Christian, but the historian Libanius that Bakur corresponded with in the in 392 AD uh, used terms that would make Bakur seem like he was actually a pagan. And this brings us to an impasse because we don't know who to trust. Do we trust the the guy who's like this Bakur is amazing? Let's you know, let's talk about everything. Or Libanius who's like. Nope, he's a pagan. Can't really trust him. He's he's horrible. <laughs> but from what I see from this is that this tells us like how Christianity and paganism were still like together at yes. some points in the fourth century. Yeah, and, yeah these uh, in the fourth century really we are side by side, and we have uh, the intelligentsia of the Roman Empire. That is, some of them are um, uh, Christians, majority actually, but there's plenty still. Uh, Libanius, Libanius is one of the uh, the most famous, but not the only one. So there's uh, there's still several uh, pagans. We have Symmachus in Rome, a very famous um, uh, pagan uh, in Rome. So they are coexisting, and it is probably the last time. This is the last period when they are coexisting, because um, basically with the with the uh, um, you know with Theodosius. Uh, from three, um, 378 to 395, there's this big transition towards making Christianity not just the main religion of the Roman Empire, but the official religion of the Roman Empire. And soon there will not be any space left for an independent pagan uh, existence, at least overtly uh, pagan. Plenty of secretly pagan 
and paganism will remain in the fifth century, especially in the countryside, uh, even longer than that. Uh, but in the intelligentsia, the people that mattered in the Roman Empire were only very few thousand people. The, that's it. And among those people will become basically untenable uh, to remain Christians, to remain mm-hmm. pagan, sorry. Yeah, I, I totally get that. And it really doesn't help that Libanius' writing style tends to like address Christians and even Christian emperors as pagans too. So he just considers everyone a pagan. Yeah, you you could see that that you know he will think like, oh no, maybe you know how I c- can reconstruct what's going on here. You know, you you will have people that will have overtly converted to Christianity, but still hold pagan way of thinking, or even actual pag- pagan and pagan, of course, is 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 our is the Christian understanding of believing the ancient gods. Uh, so it's, it's of course, when you say pagan, you're already seeing the world with the eyes of Christianity. But, you know, with the with the way of thinking of, of the people that, that believed in the old gods that were not, in the eyes of the believer of the old gods, it was not incompatible. You could be, at the same time, uh, believing any, uh, you know, the, 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 the pantheons, uh, Sol Invictus, and think that Sol Invictus can also be the god of the Christians. So that's why also it's very hard for us to pick, you know, to understand Constantine. Because mm-hmm. Constantine, you, you, you cannot really understand when is the point that he converts to Christianity. And he does convert to Christianity. That's pretty obvious. But when? Because he's monotheistic before becoming a Christian. He believes mm-hmm. in Apollos. He has a vision of, with Apollos. And he clearly favors Sol Invictus for many years. And we cannot reconstruct at which point that becomes uh, the Christian God. And you may even think it's it's a continuum. It's not like a, a discrete thing. Before it's something and after it's something. It's, it's more like a process where mm-hmm. slowly, in his mind, over several decades, he becomes more and more Christian. Yeah, and, and like with Sol Invictus, that started with Aurelian, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, Sol Invictus was around for a long time. Um, mm-hmm. In reality, you know, if you think about uh, El Gabal, El Gabal is, is basically Sol Invictus. It, you know, they, they are different representations of the same god. And El mm-hmm. Gabal was the god of Heliogabalus, uh, the one Roman emperor of the Severan. <laughs>